Hey, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your, Your Life, Your Terms show, we have George El Masri on the episode with us, and George came to us all backwards. Most people who work with us start as um, investors and become members of the Rockstar Inner Circle and join with us. You'll hear his story. He definitely came through the back door to start working with us here, so wait till you hear us go through that. He'll share some of his initial thoughts on myself and Nick as well, um, and uh, he's just a good guy. He's a millennial, and the reason that he he actually suggested coming on this to share his story because we've been talking over the last few years just how the millennials have really a difficult time with property prices where they are to buy their first property. I mean, everybody does, not just millennials. But uh, we were just focusing in on that age bracket. And uh, he said, well, you know what? I've started and I'd like to share some of you know my, my story. And I thought that that's an absolutely great idea. So he came on the episode. The guy is a smart guy. I was impressed with just his thinking, his, how articulate he is, how well-spoken he is, um, and just how much action he's taken already and the influence he's having on his own family. So um, George comes on, breaks a bunch of stuff down. We talk about some of uh, the economic update material that we share, how he thinks it's sometimes a little too scary, and we go through that as well. Um, not that it has hold, held him back, I should be very clear, uh, not that it really affected any of his actions at all. Um, you'll hear what I mean when we get into the episode. So I really think you're going to enjoy this talk. Even if you're not a millennial yourself, I really think getting his perspective is, for me, really refreshing and insightful. So pumped that we had a chat was a really good time. We're definitely going to have him back again. So um, if you are listening to this, though, and you want to know how most people get to know us, it is through becoming a Rockstar Inner Circle member. You can find everything out about becoming a Rockstar Inner Circle member at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member. On that page, you'll see all the different benefits of becoming a Rockstar Inner Circle member all the classes and education and different topics that we cover from apartment buildings to joint ventures to student rentals and beyond second suites, um, uh, accounting classes, the whole bit, um, the monthly newsletter that we share, sharing different investing strategies with the membership of the monthly audio CD that is in addition to this podcast, of course, that audio is an MP3 and a CD we send out to members that's for Rockstar Inner Circle members, um, the different events that we host throughout the year. So it's all at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member if you want to check out what we're doing here. And with that, let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, George, yeah, don't make me try and pronounce your last name. I, I, I already tried to do it just now. We messed it up. You tell me. You didn't even try. I know, because I, I couldn't remember. <laughs> yeah. So tell me your last name. Al Mastery. And that's embarrassing that I can't remember because you're part of the Rockstar team that's right. here. That's, that's right. how old I'm getting. I can't even remember everybody's last name. Oh. I thought your last name started with an M. The second part of it. I know. It's two that's words. The, well, that's the part that stands out for me. Right. Okay, so I didn't. Enough. So the background is? Lebanese. That's right. Oh my gosh. The one country that has probably a more war-torn history than Croatia I know. Has. I said, man, aren't you lucky to be in this country? Yeah, We definitely. all are so lucky to be in this country. Yeah. But we were talking about why millennials are screwed. And I just say that in a laughing matter. So if you're listening to this, the reason we have George on this, George, this was actually something we both chatted about that you're a millennial. Mm -hmm. I feel like everybody wants to be a millennial now. Like it's trendy to be a millennial. Well, I'm actually a millennial. I'm not why, like what, on the what cusp. What year were you born in? 1990. 90. And millennials are like what? Like late 80s? 
I don't know. I just know that uh, I'm every, in the middle. Every somewhere. time I Google it up, I get a slightly different answer. But yeah. you're you're feeling like you're an actual millennial. Yeah, but to me, I don't think a 35 year old is a millennial. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. Maybe they are, but okay. it just so feels like a different generation. You're thinking 35's old guy or girl. <laughs> I'm thinking it's a different generation. Yeah. We didn't it. listen to the same music growing up and whatever. So what music did you listen to growing up? So your teenage years, this is horrible. Your teenage years are like mid 2000s. What are we talking about here? You you don't even know who Millie Vanilli is. Uh, no, I actually don't. But yeah. I should. Oh my God, you I should. should because I used to DJ. Oh. So I should know who they are. Blame but it on the rain, dude. Blame it on the rain is a classic. Girl, you know it's what true. Kind of, what kind of? Oh, oh that, I know music. that song. Oh, they won a Grammy. It was all fake. They I know. Were, I know. Girl, you know it's true. I've yeah, heard that one before. Of course, yeah. Milli Vanilli. Milli Vanilli. Even after they were exposed as fake and fraudsters, I still like the music. <laughs> yeah, they won a Grammy, and then yeah. they had to. I don't know if they gave it back, but I guess it was taken back. But so you're grow. You're as a millennial. Mm-hmm. What's the music you grew up to? I don't know. For me, it was probably a little different. So I was in uh, in Brampton. Okay. Okay. And Why are you was, smiling when you tell me that? There's nothing <laughs> wrong with Brampton. I grew okay, up in Mississauga, so, <laughs> right next to Brampton. But well, tell me. I actually grew up earlier on in Mississauga and then moved to Brampton. That's why I kind of laughed because people would make fun of me for going there. Okay, got it, got it. Okay, but um, yeah, there was that. There was that. Yeah, you're yeah. right. You're like, right. why would some? Why would you go to Brampton? Yeah, right. Why are you going to Brampton? Yeah, yeah. You go from Brampton to Mississauga. Yeah, you don't exactly. Go from Mississauga to Brampton. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's how the politics. So works. I was always like into basketball. I'm still into basketball. I love basketball. So I was kind of a part of that hip hop. I used to wear XL shirts or double XL. Oh gosh. <laughs> and your pants were hanging down? No, my pants never I never used to let my pants hang down, okay. but I did have the extra large shirts. So I was into hip hop. That was for the most part oh. like Okay, Tupac, but like give me some Biggie. oh Tupac. Tupac oh. Biggie. I used to like Big L. Oh, oh. I don't know if no, you've ever I have no heard. idea who Big L was. It was like uh it was a group with Fat Joe and part oh, of New York. Yeah, I heard was, the name. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I think you and I have totally different music styles. I have no music style. I'm oh, useless okay. with the music. Oh, Outside Tragically Hip, I'm useless. Oh, okay. Tragically Hip to me is everything. To me, it's nothing. I don't even know <laughs> anything about them. Oh my gosh, yeah. we are different eras. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is yeah. what this is what's shocking about this country and what makes this country so great well, all at the same time. Yeah, but the thing is now today, what I like is Motown music and older stuff. I like wow. music from the 50s and 60s. This is because you're feeling you're millennial and you're not cultured. And know. you need some culture it in your could life. Could be, but I think it was. <laughs> so you know how vinyl records are back. We're here now? to talk about real estate in a uh, second. Yeah, yeah. But okay, vinyl records are back. Yeah. Oh, it's I a think. thing. I think it's a millennial thing now. People love getting records. So I like two years ago, I would go to garage sales all over and just pick up a bunch of records. I didn't even have a record player. I didn't know anything about records. See, you've just summed up the millennial <laughs> yeah. generation to me. Yeah. You're buying records with no record player. Yeah, I didn't even know what the different sizes meant and whatever. Like I, I yeah. just picked up the records that I thought were the right size. And I just got a record player maybe two months ago. Someone gave it to me. Oh my gosh. So you think there's other people like you buying yeah. record players now? Yeah. You, you know why see. it's, this is going to sound hilarious, but I was just telling, well, it doesn't sound hilarious, but I just told my own family, I'm like, there's something about music coming off a record player, that little crackle mm-hmm. yeah. and that sound off. It just sounds so amazing. Yeah. And I have the most embarrassing story to share with everyone. Nick and I used to wake up like on the weekends, our mom would play Whitney Houston, a single, the children are our future, like on full blast on her record player with some big speakers attached to it. Mm-hmm blaring through the house like if, if you don't know that song it's just talking about the child obviously the children are our future and uh, we would wake up just hearing this blasting through the house like I, it was just weird it was definitely weird <laughs> but uh but i used to love the records yeah, yeah. well huh. you're i when you say stuff like that i can imagine it because your mom is 
she's so different from you and your brother, I find. What do you mean? I don't know. I just th- feel like you guys have a different energy completely. Huh. That's interesting. Your mom's very, don't take this the wrong way, but I feel like your mom's very open and she loves to connect with people. Not that you don't, but she, <laughs> she does it in a different way. Like she's just right off the bat. She loves to, to connect with people. I think right. you and your brother are a bit more cautious about who you connect with. Huh. So you were more reserved. Possibly. I don't know you guys that well. I think this mm-hmm. is actually probably the first time we sit down and talk. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah because you infiltrated your way here into Rockstar. <laughs> we don't even, just so you know, George got his way into, so Rockstar has grown yeah. because we work with real estate investors mm-hmm. um, and everyone who, almost everyone uh, until a few years ago who had joined our team were investors we helped with, got their real estate license yeah. and they joined Rockstar and that's how we've grown. Last few years, a few other people have kind of infiltrated in. It's been minimal, but George is basically one of them where you just showed up like one day or you called Nick and Nick met with you. I don't even know how you convinced him to do that because we don't like to yeah. meet with people, I guess, to your point of maybe being reserved or whatever. Mm-hmm. Don't even really want to meet with anyone. And uh, you met with Nick and Nick came to me. He's like, yeah, I met this guy, George. I don't know. There's no good reason I have for saying no to this guy. But he said he's going around evaluating different brokerages. I'm like, did you tell him we're basically we hate real estate model yeah. and we don't even care that we're a brokerage and like we just are a brokerage to make the whole business work he's like yeah no i'm pretty sure i was clear about all that stuff and that we don't offer any training to george and we don't really even mm. aren't going to talk to him apparently like you said until now <laughs> and uh and he's like yeah i told him all that stuff but he keeps coming back and following up and then you decided to join the brokerage yeah so a funny story about that when i met with nick he so we, I called him a couple times. He like screened me over the phone to see if I'm a douche or not. And then he's like, okay, fine. You can come meet with me. I met with him and then he's like, all right, we'll, we'll take you on. You can become a rock star. I'm, I'm like, okay, cool. I go back to my office or something. I send an email to my broker. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going to join a different brokerage, whatever. What are the steps? And then the next day I get an email from Nick. He's like, you know what? Sorry, you're not, you can't be a rock star yet. You got to meet Tom first. <laughs> no way. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god! So that's I was like, awesome. I really hope this works out. I hope Tom doesn't like. You know what it is. Most of the time, we're just trying to see if you're a good person. Like yeah, that's yeah. what it boils down to for us. We don't. We just want to know good people and hang out with good people. Mm-hmm. So maybe we're reserved in that way. But I have a similar story. When I was, uh, I hated my job. I was in tech support at Oracle for a couple of years, and I, I really needed a change. And I went on a trip to Cuba with my wife, and I was kind of brainstorming. I actually launched a couple business websites from that just exploring kind of online marketing and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I got back to uh, to Oracle and I went into my manager's office and I said, look, I'm, I'm done. I've, I've done a couple of years now in tech support. I really want to move over into the sales side and be a technical sales consultant to work with the sales force. There's a posting I saw. I'd like to apply for it. Um, I just want to let you know, please let me know what the next steps were. I went back to my desk. He comes to my desk about 15 minutes later. He's like, Tom, so you really want to apply for that job because that posting's in Winnipeg. And I was like, oh, no, I just told my manager that I basically don't want to work for him anymore. And the job posting that's open was in Winnipeg. Luckily, about a month later, not even, there was a big expansion where I was. And there was a whole bunch of new sales type jobs opening up. And I managed Mm. to get over there. But uh, I remember my heart sinking, thinking that I just like ruined my entire future at this company. But anyway, we met and you're here. Yeah. And now you're a bonafide rock star. So there you go. I am. I am. I feel like I'm finally part of the family because when I first joined... I was afraid of saying anything during the meeting because you would shut me down so fast. You'd be like, you know what? Why don't you save that question for after? We got to discuss other things right now. But now I can actually talk and you'll you'll answer my question. I don't think so. You're talking about in our Monday team meetings. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that we're trying to really 
shut you down. It's just there's been some people on our team that have been around for like 10 years. Yeah. And there's other people, obviously, like yourself, with good intentions and good questions. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to manage everybody's time yeah, in there. Yeah, I know. So I get that. I'm, and, and I'm trying to make a point like, yeah, George, yeah, just park that question, ask me yeah, afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting that you're thinking I'm just shutting you down like that. No, no, I... I didn't, it's just, I didn't know you when I first. You don't have to backtrack, it's it's okay. No, I'm saying I didn't know you (laughs) when I first joined. So that's what it felt like to me. But now I know that you're, you're about respecting everyone's time, which is, which is fair because we get done on time and then everyone can move on and do whatever they need to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an important meeting for us. And uh, thankful. it's also a little bit, just so you know, I don't know why we're sharing internal politics of Rockstar on this podcast, but just so you know, it's a little bit of a, a test as well. Like if you can get through those meetings, I mean, everyone's pretty good in there, lots of experience, mm-hmm. and we all like to get to the point. So if you can survive those meetings, it's a little bit of a, a test for us to see what you're all about mm-hmm. and if you're going to kind of survive here at Rockstar, right? right? Right. So it works that way for us. It's not mm-hmm. like a really conscious thing that we discuss but it's just that's kind of the way that's worked out a mm-hmm. little bit right mm-hmm. rightly or wrongly i mean we'll see but uh over the last 10 years it's worked out pretty good and mm-hmm. and and to your credit <laughs> you've hung around and stuck it out and uh yeah and you're right now we're talking more than we've ever spoken so this yeah. is great so the reason that you, we wanted i wanted to talk to you is uh your proper you're thinking about real estate as an investment mm-hmm. um but before we even get there we we just finished one of our your life your terms events and you asked me something um on are you what, what how did you phrase it am i scared i'm uh, putting fear into everybody or something no am i scaring the millennials yeah with my update yeah because um obviously you talk about the future the future of real estate and for the most part, the people that are already established, they're not too worried. They have their properties and you you firmly believe that the properties are going to increase in value because, in large part because of all the immigrants that are coming and the growth of the population. So who's really being impacted? It's the millennials. And you said it yourself. You kind of believe like they're they're going to get screwed at some point. And uh, I was just I was uh, wondering not if at you some had... point. They're already screwed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I kind of disagree with you on that. And I'll I'll talk about that a little bit later, being a millennial myself. George, you're a good guy, dude. I like the fact that you're disagreeing with me. Yeah. Yeah, go on. Yeah, I'm not not just going to agree with everything you say. Yeah, yeah, no, this is great. Yeah. So um, I just wanted, I asked you if you get any feedback from people saying that that's just kind of, you're you're putting the millennials down and you're leading them to believe that there's no future for them. Yeah. um, So yeah, if that's the message that's coming off, it's it's good that you're letting me know because it's absolutely what I, I do not believe that. I always believe that I want to be have a realistic outlook on what I think the economy is showing us. Mm. But I always believe that if you um, if you have a work ethic um, and you're a good person, um, the world is your oyster and the future has unlimited potential for you. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I've met a lot of people in my life who just have happy thoughts and believe in the law of attraction. Like I was kind of into that whole scene for a little bit like you know think of something and it will materialize mm-hmm. and i've realized that you need to have the right mindset definitely but you need to marry it with a certain amount of work ethic to actually materialize what you want in your own future you know it's like your habits create your future mm-hmm. you can't just think about it. you actually have to have the habits and do some work to kind of create the life that you want and so the the way i talk about the economy is an attempt to have the real information in front of me not like Everything's going to be okay. Don't worry. And let's just dismiss all this crazy Mm. business that's going on in the economy. So I like to call it like I see it. But then once I see it and if it does come off negative, which it often does, um, if I'm aware and I can share that with other people, I think we can all manage through it. Mm -hmm. 
And I think there's a huge opportunity. And um, just to your point about properties that, you know, I believe they're going up because of the population growth. There's two trends I look at a long time, like a 10 year trend at a minimum, which would be the shortest amount of time for a long term trend in my eyes. And over that time, I do believe that we are um, on this cycle of increasing demand because of population growth. Mm -hmm. But I also believe that there could be any 18 month to three, four, five, six year window within any 10 year rolling window that could be a recession and Mm -hmm. could be property prices coming down. So although I might believe long term that if you hold real estate long enough and survive and hold on to it for dear life is a phrase that we always say, like buy property and then hold on to it for dear life to mm-hmm. survive. And the reason we say that is because we want we want investors to get in to survive through the downs, like don't give up when the headlines are negative and property prices come down. So we are we believe that at any time property prices can come down. So it's not just that we believe property prices are just going to go up forever. No, mm-hmm. no, no. The real estate market is highly um, in tune with access to credit. So if the banks decide for whatever reason that there's a U.S. recession or there's a problem here and they tighten up on, on their lending rules mm-hmm. further or don't give any credit out, the real estate market will definitely suffer. Yeah. My point is that don't give up because real estate to us is one of the few assets that also produces income. So it's a self-liquidating asset. And if you hold on to it long enough, you will likely do really well for yourself, even if it doesn't appreciate, even if it just pays off the mortgage. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's the mindset that I'm trying to come from when Mm -hmm. I give those updates. So it's good that you're telling me, hey, man, you're freaking out all the millennials because I want to freak you out in a second a little bit more. (laughs) Well, I'm not freaked out by what you're saying because I agree. And I believe that there are still opportunities for people my age to get in the market. Maybe you want like... I mentioned to you, I grew up in Mississauga and then later moved to Brampton. I probably can't get in the market right now in those cities, but I can get into Hamilton, St. Catharines, Cambridge, whatever. Totally, totally. Yeah. And the, soon and, enough, and, and you're saying that because of the price point. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I was able to successfully do that. Not how like, old? Are, so how old are you? Right, you are twenty nine. Twenty eight. Right twenty eight. Right. Yeah, now. I'll be twenty nine later this year. Okay, so twenty eight. Yeah. Uh, twenty nine. Um, and then you have rental properties right now. I have. So I have. See a, how we're getting to know each other. Right yeah, now? This is yeah. Great. There you go. You I probably bought, told me and I forgot. Yeah, I probably did. Uh, I bought my first rental in twenty seventeen. So it was uh, closing date was September twenty seventeen, and I actually renovated the house myself with the help of a few people. Uh, I had to learn everything. I didn't know how to do anything. I didn't know how to use a saw, a miter saw, or anything. Good I learned for everything. You, man. Yeah, and uh, it was a it, the home inspector that did the thing for me. He told me it was the worst house he's ever seen. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> That's how it begins. That's perfect. Yeah, you and, are one of us. Yeah, and he's like, you know what? If you weren't a realtor, I wouldn't tell you this. But because I'm gonna tell you, you should walk away from this house. <laughs> <laughs> what did you buy? What was it? It was a two and a half story. A uh, hoarder house with a really terrible tenant with like loaded with fleas. Like two you and believe. a half story. So was this yeah. already a multi-unit house? Of some it sort? was at one point, but uh, it was an illegal duplex. Illegal duplex. Or illegal second suite, whatever. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So um, it was just terrible. The fleas were seriously, the house was infested and I didn't even know. <laughs> so after I bought the house, I realized there were fleas, right? And that really slowed me down. That freaked me. So that, it was fleas, not like bed bugs? Yeah. Similar. Fleas. But fleas, they can jump up to like five or six feet. So No. Yeah. Yeah. They have like these legs that spring up, they shoot up and they can climb up on your clothes. And yeah. 
Oh my God. Yeah. I, I so cause I, one of our student rental properties, I had to deal with bed bugs mm-hmm. and have you, have you ever dealt with bed bugs yet? No. Nasty. Yeah. You push yeah. into the seam of the bed and you see these things pop out and crawl yeah. around the seam of the mattress. Yep. Disgusting. And all the students were on summer break and we discovered there was bed bugs. So I went in there. I started throwing all their clothes without oh, their man. permission into a pile yeah, and I yeah. threw them out and I just emailed them. I'm just, and I didn't realize some of these guys had some, probably like you, they had like some, what I just thought was like a jersey or something, but yeah. some of these things were like signed jerseys oh, and wow. things, but I just need to clean out the house. So you threw out I just threw it all out. In the trash? Yeah, in the trash. And oh. I told them, guys, we have a bed bug problem. Yeah. Here's what I had to do. If, if uh, you know, I've done something incorrect here, please let me know and I will compensate you for what I've done. But I had to take immediate action. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a few of them, I had to give them a few hundred dollars to replace some articles of clothing that yeah. really were. But in general, they were just happy that I got in there because they were coming back mm-hmm. and they obviously wanted a good place. Yeah. So they were they were actually happy that I was in there battling this problem. And I remember at one bedroom because the, the, the guy was an international student went back. Um, and, uh, he had like piled all his clothes in the middle of the room. I was in the middle of this room where clothes were like up to my, like above my waist, just throwing stuff out in garbage bags. And then I did that for like the whole day cleaning out this house. And then I went, then we had to have the exterminator come in twice because Mm -hmm. he couldn't kill them the first time. Then we found some powder that you put in the baseboards that really worked. And uh, the first day when I went home, I I changed in my garage because my wife didn't want me coming in the house. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So I was in my garage, closing the garage doors, just getting stripping down freaking naked yeah. in my garage and oh, throwing yeah. out my clothes and then walking into our house and straight into the shower. It was just crazy. Yeah. So uh, good for you that you battled through that. Extermi- so what, exterminator? Yeah, they had to spray like four or five times. But that was my fault because um, the thing is when they spray, it only kills the adults. The eggs aren't impacted by the spray and the eggs can lay unhatched. I think I I have to check back because I did a bunch of research back then. I don't remember, but I think they can lay unhatched for up to six months. And um, it's just a scary thing to think you have to vacuum after they spray every day. You've got to vacuum the entire house twice a day. And they didn't tell me that the exterminator. So I just, I got it sprayed and then I checked back in a week to see if it was gone. But no, it was still infested with fleas. So it took like maybe two months to clear it out to, to figure out how to get it done, to get it done. I love the fact that you said it was your fault and you just took responsibility for that. Dude, that yeah. tells me so much about you right there. Yeah. But uh, good for you. So you handle that thing. So, okay, so you get rid of the fleas. Get rid of the you do, fleas. You teach yourself miter saws and you renovate this thing with friends, I'm assuming, family. Yeah, my dad helped out. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Uh, so the main things that I did your was- Your dad thought you were crazy for doing this? Yeah, and he thought the house smelled like crap. Yeah. It was a disgusting house. Oh man! Dude, what did you buy? What was the purchase price again? I bought it for two fifteen, a two and a half story four bedroom house. Okay, so yeah, yeah big structure. Big structure. It's probably worth around like maybe three seventy five four hundred now. Awesome, and that was only uh, so we're talking two years ago. Not even, yeah, a year and a half. Okay, yeah. And you said that one was St. Catharines. No, Hamilton oh, downtown. Sorry, I'm losing yeah, yeah. it. I'm losing it. Hamilton. Yeah, downtown. Um, wow, good for you. Yeah, you went downtown Hamilton. You're gutsy. I didn't know, but that's the thing. I didn't know anything about Hamilton at the t- at the time. I just got lucky. You hadn't met us yet. No. Yeah, got it. Okay. Yeah. I I seriously I just saw a house and I felt like it was a good deal. I didn't even have access to the the matrix system like the the yep. Hamilton board. I just had the Toronto real estate board, so I couldn't even see comparables in the area. And I just kind of did a bit of research and, and I I felt like it was a good deal and I moved forward and it was the scariest thing I've done. Good for you, man. Yeah. That's how it begins. I think yeah. sometimes, especially at your age, that's the, the, 
the stuff you've gone through, the lessons that you're learning, those mm. are unteachable things. Yeah. You've dealt with home inspectors and uh, you've dealt with these freaking fleas jumping all mm -hmm. over the place. And uh, you've dealt with um, a, a home, the <laughs> home inspector telling you you got ripped <laughs> off. You were the realtor yeah. in, the, in the process. Yeah. You dealt with the kind of buying material and fixing it up. Mm -hmm. And then I'm assuming you went, what is it, to re you rented it out? Yeah. Yeah. And I refinanced, well, I didn't refinance it. I got a home equity line of credit on it. So I think uh, six months after buying it, I got it appraised at 300000 So I was able to draw out all the money that I put in, and it's cash flowing. So I Is it a single family rental? Yeah. Okay. It was set up as a duplex, but I didn't want to run into trouble. Okay, yeah, use the yeah. word illegal duplex. I think sometimes we use the words non-conforming. Sorry, yeah. Dupli no, 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 yeah, no. Yeah. Illegal is pretty much the right word to use. Non-conforming just sounds a little bit better. It was like a bylaw officer who taught me that a while back. He's like, well, that's a non-conforming Non-conforming, yeah. Well, technically, it probably was because on uh, on Geo Warehouse, it had the duplex word on there. So, yeah, yeah non-conforming duplex. Yeah. Got it. And uh, just a thing that I, I had such a small budget at the time, so I had to get creative. I actually bought kitchen cabinets for off Kijiji from somebody who did a reno and their cabinets were still fine. So I just bought them for like 250 bucks and I, I ripped out all the old cabinets, put those in, bought a countertop from Ikea for 80 bucks and just made it, made things work. However, How did you get the cabinets? Do you, you have a truck? No, I had to rent a U-Haul truck. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And just put all the material, all the flooring, everything in the truck and just brought it over. And then when you were doing the work during the days, at nights, weekends? Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It took a lot of my time away. So I, I'm a full-time realtor, but I had to probably spend maybe six to eight hours a day on the house to get it done because I, I didn't want to carry the, the mortgage any any longer. I had to do it as fast as possible. And uh, luckily, things worked out. I don't know how. Like, I, Obviously, I'm commission-based. I don't have a salary. I don't have anything. And I had just enough money to close on the deal. And I, I, I just figured things would work out, and they did. Deals came along, Think I had enough to just get by for that little period of time, and luckily everything worked out, and I, I just had faith that it would, and it, and it was a great deal for me. Good for you. Mm -hmm. uh, always when you're taking action, things work out, man. Yeah, Usually yeah. when people overthink something and mm -hmm. they don't take action, like to me, the reason it worked out for you is because you were taking action. Yeah. You found the cabinets, you got a rental truck. Like most people will just freeze and say, I have I don't have enough money to finish this project and they won't do anything. Mm -hmm. You instead said, okay, I don't have much money at all to work with here, yeah. but you found cabinets on Kijiji for two, 300 bucks and yeah. you rented a U-Haul yourself and loaded the the cabinets into the U-Haul and brought them over there. Yeah. It always, you know, I love this kind of phrase that I once heard that action beats meditation. Like I'm a big believer in meditation. Uh, I don't know if you know our mom who you said is different than us. Yeah. She took us to meditation camp when we were really young. Okay. And when everyone else was going to summer camp up north, Nick and I went to the U um, downtown Toronto Central Library for one week meditation camps wow. <laughs> in the summer. And anyway, um, so uh, like I, I'm a big believer in it. Mm -hmm. Um and it's played a big role in my life, especially at different stressful times of my life and at times in my life when I wanted to make a real change. Um, meditation and the ability to kind of visualize the future that I wanted for myself and then combining that with some some work with it mm -hmm. really has been beneficial to me. But my point was you were successful because you took action. Yeah. And I just want to give you a lot of credit, man. Thank you. Your, yeah. your parents must be also pretty proud. Yeah, I mean, well, you're, you're, you're in your twenties now. I'm not like they're patting you on the head proud, but yeah. I mean, they must be, I'm sure they are. Mm -hmm. They, I don't, they're not really the kind of people that'll say it, but I'm, I'm sure they, they believe that they were born yeah. where Lebanon. Yeah. Both, both. Le uh, how long you were born in Canada though. Yeah. Um, when did they come to Canada? 1989. 89. Yeah. And how, do you, like, are they happy that are you, do you have any uh, brothers or sisters? I have a younger sister. 
do you feel that they they think they made the right move or where do you think they're coming here yeah 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 I, I think so uh it's hard it's hard to tell they they're still like as most immigrants are i think they still have that desire to be in the their home country but um i think they're happy with what they've allowed for us because they just like most immigrants they sacrificed everything for us they had to give up so much and i'm sure your parents are the same so uh, i don't think they have any regrets about coming yeah, cool. Yeah. It's funny when Im- I, I found for I, I do find first generation immigrants. If I can look at my, our own parents as a, a little bit of an example of that, they do kind of stick to their community pretty tightly. Yeah, which they is, do. Which is a lot of cool things because yeah. I think from that you learn a lot that isn't readily available to Canadians. You learn a lot about it. You know, a, you get a deep understanding of, of different cultures that way. Mm-hmm. And I really have a respect for that. And I was fortunate enough, Nick and I both were, to go over back. Um, into Europe and kind of see our family over there. It was still there and stuff uh, mm-hmm. that is still there even. And uh, that's been really, really uh, beneficial, I think, in my kind of own personal worldview. Mm-hmm. But I find the next generation like yourself, because we went to school here, our network starts to change. Mm-hmm. We kind of intermingle just a little bit more. And the power that comes from that, you being the next generation, is very strong because you, you have a different network. Whereas my parents, and I think if I was to guess your parents, they would have the like the Lebanese net- network. Mm-hmm. And my parents would have their kind of circle of network. But now you being born here, you like we're meeting each other, mm-hmm. right? We know each other. And George, you don't have children right now, but one day you might have children. And the fact that your network has grown beyond kind of what your parents' network has gives you a lot of opportunity in this country, I feel. Mm-hmm. Because I feel I have a lot of opportunity in this country that my parents didn't have because I just know more people. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it's the kind of the, the power of your network changes a mm-hmm. little bit as the generations kind of move on. Yeah. Um, which is a really cool thing. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, yeah. So that that first property. Um, did you did you buy another property? Or? I did. Yeah. So I used the HELOC to put a down payment on another home. Got it. And I still have a bit of a balance on it. So I can still probably draw it a bit more and, and go for a third one. I'm I'm kind of in the process of doing that, but I just did don't want to go too Did you get that HELOC fast. on the first property yeah. afterwards, or did you get one of those mortgages that already attaches a HELOC? No, and... no, I got it after. Oh, good for you. So you were yeah. able to get that on after. Yeah, awesome. six months later, just because I got such a good deal, I think it was appraised at 300. I think it's worth more, but uh, that was enough to to give me access to $80,000. And then I just went out. I've, I found another home close by that I, that I now live in. Awesome. Cool. Mm-hmm. So 28 turning 29, you're already into your second property. You're living in the second property. It's, yeah. it's, it's for you. This isn't like any sort of rental or anything. No, like that. I, I live in it. It's just a small house. Yeah. Awesome. What city? It's in Hamilton. It's oh, like cool. five minutes away from the rental. Oh, awesome. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. It, man, it's, it's interesting to see Hamilton morph in real time. Well, like that, people you co- uh, like you coming yeah, in there, it, yeah. th- that city is changing. A lot of people from Toronto still don't understand what's happening in Hamilton. Yeah. Like it's changing. It's it's just becoming an extension of Toronto. Exactly. And I, I can actually feel that just getting to know the city more and more. I just feel like there's a really young crowd that's starting to populate that that place. And I can just imagine all the streets being filled with young families in the near future. I think that's what it's that's the future of Hamilton. It really seems that way. And yeah. we're seeing condos being developed right in downtown Hamilton, yeah. new condos, which mm-hmm. we never saw before. Mike, on our, you know, Mike yeah. um, was helping out a bunch of Rockstar members buy some of those condos as investments. And I know... Um, Graybrook, uh, uh, you know, kind of a land development uh, firm, yeah. has their hooks into big development projects into Hamilton for future big growth around the harbor front yeah. area there. So Hamilton's really, 
the story with Hamilton isn't over. It's it's really just barely begun. And the reason yeah. I say it like that is um, a lot of people who look at Hamilton 10 years ago think the opportunity has gone. Yeah. And I'm like, no, no, no. The opportunity in Hamilton is still like, well, look, you're buying that property like two well, years ago. Well, why did I end up in Hamilton not knowing anything about it? I was doing searches. I set myself up on a property search on the Toronto Real Estate Board. And I looked in my price in my criteria and Hamilton was the only city that I could really afford to buy in. So I didn't want to be in St. Catharines. That's a little bit too far. So somehow I ended up there. And even to this day, when I look, yeah, I can afford maybe Brentford and some of these other cities. But the city that makes the most sense in terms of location to be in is Hamilton. So I, I'm sure I'm not the only one who thinks that way. You're just seeing, uh, thinking proximity to Toronto? Yeah. And to my family. Um, just overall, uh, just the, the fact also that Hamilton's a nice place. Uh, yeah, there is like there's people that have some maybe mental issues and there's a lot of that and the, there's drug abuse and things like that. But I think that's improving. But overall, well, also every city has that kind of. Yeah. Stuff, right? Yeah. But um, just if you look at the, the structure, the beauty of the city itself, it's a beautiful place. It is a nice city with the escarpment right next yeah. to it, right next to the downtown there. Yeah. So obviously uh, some of the industrial areas are they kind of take away from from that the, the look of the, the city. But um, if you look on Lock Street. I don't know if you're familiar with I, it. I am. Yeah, beautiful restaurants, places. You can. It just looks like Toronto. It's pretty much identical to it. So I'm um, just. I can just imagine that carrying over and and the Hamilton Mountain, for example, great place. I, I would probably raise my family there if that was. Yeah. Well, we didn't know about the Hamilton Mountain until we were um, buying more and working with more and more investors because mm -hmm. Nick and I, our first entrance into Hamilton was not up on the Hamilton Mountain. It was by Mac as a student rental. Yeah. And then one day. Um, Nick and I both decided we were working with more and more investors and we thought we need to find property elsewhere. And he said, OK, I'm going to go explore different parts of Burlington that we've never been into before, which now sounds ridiculous because we know all these areas. Yeah. Um, but uh, he went through Burlington into some areas. And then I drove up onto something called the Hamilton Mountain <laughs> that I had never been up until like the year 2005 or so. Mm -hmm. And uh, I called Nick and I remember saying, Nick, I think it's a jackpot up here. Like the property prices, the communities, the parks, mm -hmm. the schools, the shopping malls. Like this looks like heaven up here. Yeah. And we started plowing into there. And now I think you know this. We've done like eight, nine hundred, a thousand different rental properties on the Hamilton. Not even in Hamilton. I'm talking about the Hamilton Mountain specifically. Mm -hmm. So absolutely fantastic area. Yeah. And all the new developments, the YMCA, big box stores, mm -hmm. great, great spot. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I was actually going to ask you, when did you and your brother start investing? Yeah, we need to get the actual year. I, I guess it's going to be, because we were with our family, like our family's been in real estate investing in one way, yeah. shape or form since the 1970s with our mom renting out rooms in a, in a what would be called today like a boarding house. Yeah. Um, but I guess on our own, it'd be like very late 90s, like 99, 2000, 2001-ish. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you were- um, We could actually find the actual year, but that's going to be the time frame. Was it a buy and hold or was it more of a flip? Um, for Nick, it was, uh, for me, buy and hold first, uh, for Nick, it was a flip first, mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, buy and hold. Um, but he bought, that's why I'm resonating with your story so much is because one of his first properties or his actually his second property, <clears throat> excuse me. So he would have been like 23 by this age or something, mm. um, was exactly like he bought this thing. I went to go see it. Um, there was so much tar on the windows that I could like, I could, <laughs> I couldn't even write my name because it was so thick. You couldn't even make yeah, a dent yeah. in it. And, uh, it was 
uh, there's no other way to say it. This thing was like a complete shit box. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but he, he and his buddy bought it. They renovated it all themselves. He used me to dig out the side of the house because every house Nick's ever owned has had a water problem. Oh, okay. So we dug out the side of the house by hand. Oh, so um, were you doing waterproofing or you yeah, just. Yeah, waterproofing. You were, it was that something you were doing for. Oh, yeah, we did it. Was it like your full time job? Or? No, my gosh, oh, no, no, no. I was working at Oracle already as oh, a, okay. as a, and I guess I would have been like, uh, no, I think I had already transferred over into the sales side there. Oh yeah. And I remember it was the end of their Q4, so their fiscal year doesn't line up with the calendar year, and it was like spring, and yeah. so they decided they need to dig this house out, and it was the last day of Q4 was the day before. I was exhausted. I had never been through a sales year end before at one of these aggressive software mm. companies, and I had like this big blowout year. But it, like, I was completely drained. Mm -hmm. And then on the next day, we were meeting there, about four or five of us, to dig out this house. And I remember just being exhausted and digging this hole and just hoping the, like, we didn't even, we didn't even know if what we were digging was structurally sound, like if the the, the dirt would hold to yeah, the side. Yeah. We were just putting up pieces of like plywood <laughs> with little bits of two by four to try to hold it back. But we could have easily been one of those stories on the news of like two smart, you know, Mississauga brothers get, <laughs> get avalanche of dirt piling on them as they're digging out a yeah, house. But yeah. we dug it out and then like put all that tar to waterproof it and stuff like that. And this is how little we knew what we were doing. We filled back up the house and about a week later, Nick and his buddy Dave, they're like, Tom, the house is leaking again. I'm like, what are you talking about? We just dug the house out. We filled up all the dirt back, but there was a pipe that was going into the house that none of us like sealed around mm -hmm. the pipe. So it was like kind of, I guess we had taken off whatever sealant was there and there, there was just a hole in the side of the house with a pipe going through it with like a one inch gap all the way around. Oh, so yeah. we sealed the whole house, but we left this massive like gap in the, yeah. in the side of the wall. Um, so that would be when we kind of started, I guess, on our own. Mm -hmm. so, so you, so Nick was really young. You said he was what, 22, 23? Nick, yeah. The first property would have been 21. For me, it was a rental at 26. Mm. And then from there, we kind of both pushed pretty hard. Yeah. Did you get yours before him? Because you're older than him, right? No, he actually, I was looking into this before, but then he went to a conference and got all excited about it and took action before yeah. me. So okay. right about the same time, but he actually got it. Before. So you were probably like kind of embarrassed that your, your brother did it before you. No, no. I, yeah. Now when you say it like that, actually <laughs> now that I, today looking back, maybe I would be, but no, I think it was just more um, like good for you. And like, yeah, let's do that. You know, kind of more just like, yeah. I think we were just trying to create a like even though we were in our 20s and we were living a bad life i think mm -hmm. we were just thinking we needed to do something i guess the whole our whole attraction to real estate isn't real estate in and of itself our attraction to real estate is every person that's had some financial freedom in their lives that we've ever met have always had some component of real estate in their lives mm -hmm. so we thought we need to have some real estate in our lives mm -hmm. Because we had tried a whole bunch of stuff, you know, by that point at 26, I had already done some stock market trading. I had already done, I had already done some um, option trading online. I'd already created some websites online. And I was just realizing that although these things could be money producers for me, that if you just buy some real estate and hold it for long period, this comes back to our earlier point mm -hmm. of just buying some real estate and holding it for periods of time, you're likely going to win. Mm -hmm. And the only reason we talk about the economic update so much and the economy so much with Rockstar members and at our events and stuff like that is we don't want to be caught off guard, mm -hmm. right? Like our, I don't know if you know this, but our family almost lost everything in 1990 during a deep real estate recession. And then in the year 2008, we were caught off guard again. So are you talking about you and your brother? 
well, in 1990, it was our father. Yeah, in 2008. In 2008, yeah. yeah, we had already started. Rockstar was incorporated in 2008. Mm-hmm. We started working with investors out of a different brokerage in 2006. Mm-hmm. So we were already two years in, and we were kind of caught off guard again. And we thought, what, what, where are we? Gonna, when are we going to learn here? But when you say you were caught off guard, is it because that your property values went down? No, because that doesn't actually scare us as crazy as that sounds. We were caught off guard with a massive economic financial crisis in the U.S. that we didn't see coming. Mm -hmm. And it happened to affect property prices in the U.S. And then it happened to affect psychology here in the Toronto area. And we thought at that time, everybody said Toronto real estate and Ontario real estate and Canadian real estate is going to fall next. Mm -hmm. And we didn't see any of this coming. So we thought, how how did our family almost go bankrupt in 1990 because they didn't see that recession? We didn't see that recession mm-hmm. and correction coming. And now we're getting kind of, quote unquote, tricked again. Like, when are we going to have an understanding of the economy to the point where we don't get fooled anymore? Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what started our our economic update where we just started researching the economy for ourselves and then started sharing it with investors. Mm-hmm. It wasn't with the goal to scare anyone. It was more like, hey, here's the crazy data we saw. And and just so, George, you probably don't know this, but in 2010, during the, our economic updates, we were sharing with all our investors at that time that we don't believe interest rates are going to go up. Mm-hmm. But everybody we spoke to, especially people in the industry, mortgage brokers who had been in the industry for like 20 years, were telling us, guys, interest rates have already been low now for a little bit. They're about to spike back up. Mm-hmm. You better be ready. And we, in our own research, Nick and I were determining that they're not going to raise interest rates because they're verbalizing that they want the U.S. economy to get to a certain economic level. They want the expansion, the GDP output to be at a certain level before mm-hmm. they raise interest rates. And they're not at that level. So we're like, I don't think they're going to raise interest rates. Yeah, It was just a simple kind of thing like hey man we're just listening to what the u.s federal reserve is saying and it doesn't look like they're queuing anybody up to raise interest rates so we don't think and we even went to the date on the u.s federal reserve's website where you can see how all the, the all the people on the board are voting about interest rates and we would look and you could see that a whole bunch of of the people voting were saying in 2010 that they didn't think interest rates were going to they would be able to raise them until like 2014 2016 mm-hmm. and we were showing people this data we're like hey look i know the media is saying interest rates are going to go up but like look at what the u.s federal reserve is saying internally mm-hmm. and it kind of convinced us to like stay variable with our interest rates and that we weren't going to have a crazy uh, you know interest rate spike mm-hmm. in canada am i answering what you were asking I don't remember. What yeah, I we went, really went off. <laughs> I wanted to show you something, um, and and I'm joking that how the millennials are are all all messed up. I and 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 now you should know that I have a, my oldest is uh, about to turn 17 in a few months. Okay, so he's 16 now, and uh, we have talks about this stuff all the time. And I and I tell him all the time the world is completely your oyster. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, the you can do and be anything you absolutely want. Like, I really believe that, especially if you put the work in mm-hmm. to get what you want. Um, but I share this information with him as well because I just don't want to be caught off guard anymore. Yeah. Right? So the information, something I'm going to share with you right now is this is a chart that the Ontario government, and I'm going to just try to explain this verbally to everyone. So I'm showing what George is seeing right here. But the Ontario government puts out this chart about population growth in Ontario. And what George is looking at now, before the year 2000, like 14, 15, it's in a range of about, I would call it like close to 150,000. It's choppy, but it's about 150,000 people a year. 
And then they have the future projections. And the future projections, if I was going to call it, look like they're about, let's say, 180,000-ish going forward. And on, on the Ontario government's projecting that all the way out to 2041. Mm-hmm. And it's it's funny because whenever the government makes these projections, it's always the actual data before the projections is always super choppy. And then their projections are always like perfectly even. Oh, yeah. But they're projecting that they're going to, uh, in Ontario, we're going to have 175,000 people a year, which is more than we've had before. A population growth of that much a year. Is that a net growth? Yeah. Everything yeah. you're talking says, about, immigrants, newborns, yeah. whatever. So yeah. the title of this chart is just contribution of natural increase and net migration. Okay. So it's, and you can see on the chart, it's got uh, population growth here, natural. Mm-hmm. What does that say? Natu- natural increase and then net migration. Okay. Cool. So it's both. And it's about 175. But to your point of not getting caught off guard, we looked, at, we always look at Ontario's reported population growth numbers. Mm-hmm. And for about the last year, Every time we go to check, the population is not growing at their future increase of 175,000. And last quarter um, in Ontario, it grew so much that if you extrapolate it out, we're not going to grow at 175,000 over the next year. Our population's growth is going to be over 300,000 mm-hmm. in Ontario. And that's been going on for like over a year. But these charts and projections are still talking about 175,000. And if we, so we made a chart, no one's actually seen this. I'm going to put this out in one of our Rockstar Minutes soon. But here's what it looks like, George. If you put in the 350,000 population increase coming our way. So, and I know you can't see this if you're listening to this podcast, but basically it's like a big wall of population yeah. growth. Yeah. And and the reason that we want to know that as real estate investors um, is that, if, if the population has been growing at like 150,000 or so, and all of a sudden in Ontario annually, we're not, we're going to be growing at like, maybe, you know, this is, this trend might change. It might not be 300,000, mm-hmm. but if it's 200,000, first of all, what does that do to demand in real estate? Likely going to increase it. And what does that do to things like transportation needs in this area? Mm-hmm. And then if I'm a real estate investor, I think it's probably going to put heavy demand on transportation. And if I buy future real estate properties, should I not be buying them around directly next to highways and Mm -hmm. go train stations? Mm -hmm. Because those are going to be the hot commodity areas because you're not going to be able to move around the city. Just to your point, you bought in Hamilton because of proximity to your family and stuff. And if you could buy close... How close are you to the GO train station in Hamilton? There's two of them. There's one uh, right downtown, well, like in the center of downtown. There's one just north, close to the water. So I'm probably a five-minute drive. Yeah, cool. Okay. So those are like big, big things to us. Mm -hmm. So if we see this amount of population coming, I I joke with everyone. I'm like, everybody's screwed because all this population is happening here. But it's actually a good thing because for our economic activity in this area, more people and money slushing around generally means there's more economic opportunity for all of us. Mm -hmm. So although I kind of joke around like we're all screwed, it's actually a positive. Yeah, yeah. You know, like we, I I think we would want to be in an area where more people are coming into when we're all trying to build a life for ourselves than people leaving. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, it's always always the same. The people who benefit are the ones that take action, the ones that are held back by fear and that uh, just are waiting to see because they, they listen to the news and they think that everything's going to just fall apart, then they never do anything, and they're the ones who end up 
being the complainers about how they don't make enough money and they pay too many taxes or whatever. What do you, some of your friends at your age think about you having, you know, rental property and stuff like that? Is that is that something they think about at all or not really? Well, I think so I was going to actually bring this up. I, I feel like not to toot my own horn in any way, but I feel like I'm kind of setting a good example for some some of the people around me. Like my sister just bought a place. Oh, good for her. Yeah. So I feel like if it weren't for me and maybe it's not true, but if it weren't for me, maybe she wouldn't have had the confidence to do it. But she knows that I've been there before. I've done it. And she knows that I can help her if she needs anything. I, like I have the experience. I've been through that that whole thing before. Right. And uh, I'm sure that there, there's an impact with some of my other family as well, because I have a lot of cousins and stuff. So it's um, I just try to set a good example and, and help out whoever needs it. Have you had any thoughts? You know, most real estate investors, when they get into it for the first time, some of them panic a little bit about vacancies and thinking, oh, my gosh, if I can't find a renter, how am I going to carry this? What were some of your fears? Do you remember? Yeah, I was terrified. W- uh, w- about what specifically? Just everything? The, the you- carrying costs? Mm-hmm. about yeah if i what if i don't find a tenant or what if i don't get the rents that i wanted and i actually ended up kind of settling for a tenant because it was vacant for so long it took me a while to renovate with the fleas i had to like clear them all out and <laughs> yeah um and the renovations themselves took a while and then finding people i had so many applications uh it was it was in the i put it up for lease in december though which was a really bad month and i had through maybe three or four months, I had like 60, 70 applicants and I just didn't want any of them. Yeah. Why did you take so long to choose somebody? I was being very careful. And careful to you meant what? Careful meant they have to have good credit. I want them to have, to be working, not on ODSB, which was very common. Uh, Just because the income level wouldn't be enough to, to really make rent payments regularly? Well, that, yeah. And also I've seen what some of the people were some what their homes look like. I wanted someone who kind of took care of the house a little bit. Oh, so you went to where they live too? No, not necessarily, but I'm just saying my experience is being in seeing homes that were occupied by tenants that were on ODSP and whatnot. They would smoke in the house often, things like that. And I just felt like I took, I worked so hard to get this house to where it is now. I don't want somebody like the tenants that were there before that were hoarders and that had six dogs and, you know, had the flea problems and stuff like that. So that's why it took so long for me to find someone. Yeah, good for you. And do you remember what uh, credit check service you were using? Did you check? I use their- Neighborly, thanks to you guys. Oh, you use Neighborly. Got yeah. it. It's a great system, no? It is. Yeah, yeah. I, and we're not. Uh, we don't really have any affiliation uh, no. that I no. know of with Neighborly. No, nope, <laughs> I'm but doubting I had- myself. I don't think we do. No, no. But, but they're a great system because at the time I think they changed their model. Did you get a free one? Yeah, yeah. It's pretty. I forget why they make it free. Do you pay for more data afterwards or something? I don't know. But it's a nice system because you just put in the tenant's information with their approval. They get an email. Yeah. Why why are you shaking It's nice in that way, but a lot of people didn't want to fill it out because of the the long process, right? But that's a good screen to me because if they don't want to go through the effort of that, then forget it. You're not the kind of person I want in my house. That's true. But that's also... Like for me before, if I found a good good tenant, then I would uh, just through my previous brokerage, we had uh, an Equifax thing where I'd pay $5 and get the credit report. So that was a little bit easier. But you're right. If they weren't willing to take that 10, 15 minutes to fill out the application, then they weren't right for the house. Yeah, I like those things. At one point, Nick and I didn't know what we were doing at all when we started. And one of the first, um, actually, our rent-to-own we did on the Hamilton Mountain, um, we didn't even let people in the house until they filled out the application on the porch. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
because we were so clueless. Yeah. We were like, hey, you know what? If you're serious about this, you'll fill out the application here and then we'll show you the house. And we said it with such a straight face that people did it. And we didn't, looking back, we're like, oh my gosh, how did we even ask for that? That's ridiculous. Yeah. That sounds like how I was trying to join Rockstar. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing what you get when you ask for it. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, okay, cool. And then, um, so as, um, what's your world view or what's your Canadian future view? Like as a millennial, do you feel when you hear someone like myself talking about the economy, like, oh, this guy's just smoking some crack up up there sharing this shit? No, <laughs> or, a lot or, of what you say is accurate. And uh, the, the data is awesome. The immigration, I had no idea there was that many people coming in. So that part's great. But uh, to me, I just feel like there's still a lot of opportunity, regardless, regardless of where you are, what your income level is, you can still make things happen. And I have a podcast myself, but some of the people What's that the name I've, of your podcast? The Well Off Podcast. Cool. Yeah. So some of the people that I've interviewed, they are young. They're about my age. And these guys and women too, they're doing really well. So I, I know that people my age can still succeed in today's market. Yeah. we And we think that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think you know that now. If maybe you doubted us for a little bit, but you know we think the world is... You, you, the oh, world's yeah, your yeah. oyster. Yeah. We I, know. I think you also do it to be a bit funny sometimes. Yeah, I think yeah. I'm humoring myself yeah, sometimes yeah. when yeah. I'm like, we're all screwed. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the biggest thing I think for you on a, on a property, something Nick and I didn't have at the beginning, but uh, what we have now is we try to keep, a, and I guess you have it with your credit line, we try to keep a bit of access to emergency cash mm-hmm. for every property that we have. Yeah. So uh, we try to keep a minimum of $5,000. Yeah, yeah. And which might sound low. Some people think that's high. Some people think that's low. Mm -hmm. But we always felt with $5,000 available for any property, Mm -hmm. if there was a furnace that had to be replaced or a fairly significant roof problem or a foundation problem, $5,000 was going to be enough to get us through that problem. For sure. So we've always operated like that. And um, it didn't mean at the beginning that we had money in a bank account. It just meant if we had it on even a credit line Mm -hmm. that we just needed that for each property just kind of give us a level of yeah, kind of comfort. Absolutely, that's and long term. That's the best thing you can do if you ha- if you grow a portfolio. You want to have some reserves. Yeah, for sure. And most people will ask us like, how do people buy multiple properties? And and George, you're doing it. You know, everyone we've seen do it. They buy a property. Whether you started with a rental, which to me is awesome. Yeah. And uh, you get a bit of equity, and it takes time. Mm-hmm. And then you access that equity in some way. Yeah. And if you can be smart with it, like don't don't to go buy some crazy cars and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but buy another property. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of how you grow your asset pool. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the first one that I bought, I was actually considering making the move to Hamilton and, and living in it. That's That was my original thought, but then with all the fleas and all the issues that I came that I came across, I just realized it, w- it would have been just way too difficult to, to continue paying on that mortgage at that moment. Yeah. 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 And I think the, the interesting thing about what you've done, which is cool to me that you're, I, you know, you're, you're at your age buying is that here at Rockstar, we see a lot of people um, with interest in real estate in their 20s. And they struggle with the down payment because, you yeah. know, you have to save some money and you need some credit and mm-hmm. it's not easy. And especially uh, in Canada, it's been made harder. Um, pro- property prices have gone up. The bank has changed. Uh, sorry, the government's changed mortgage rules and yeah. there's all that stuff. Um, but then we see very few people in their 30s. And it's because often in their 30s, you're you're often starting a family and there's mm-hmm. children to feed and you're more expensive. You're buying maybe a, a bigger car with more seats and yeah, instead of yeah. two door, four door and all that kind of stuff. And then we see people start to trickle back kind of in their 40s, mid 40s and mm-hmm. stuff and say, oh my gosh, I need some real estate. And we get two reactions at that time. Sometimes people think, um, I'm not going to buy a property in my 40s. And I'm always like, yes, you should absolutely buy a 
Mm -hmm. good buy a good property in your 40s and it's a good you you just always want to be adding good assets into your life Mm -hmm. that's like our whole thing like forget about your income which your income to us is only a mechanism or a vehicle to add assets into your life Mm -hmm. you can add assets into your life by buying them as income properties or building them Mm -hmm. um you know so an entrepreneurial kind of thing you start a new business or something like that um and in, you know, we've helped um, hundreds and thousands of people at this point in their 40s buy properties and it's been going really, really well. Although we do try to prep everybody that there could be at any time, there could be a dip in the real estate market. And you yeah. know, don't give up, hang on for dear life right. and survive it. But you and your 20s are really interesting because you've done it. And when you buy a property in your 20s, the biggest advantage you have is time. Mm-hmm. Because if you just sit now and do nothing, that property, even if it doesn't appreciate from here, even if it goes down, Mm-hmm. a certain percentage you pick it it's ultimately going to pay out to pay off its debt yeah because of our population base here you're always going to have tenants especially right in the middle of hamilton mm-hmm. and th- when you're in your 40s you're going to have an asset that is has a lot of equity available to, uh, mm-hmm. to you or it might just have a mortgage that's paid off depending on what you do with the mortgage schedule extended mm-hmm. decrease whatever you do and it's going to be a brilliant time for you. One single property can change your whole financial future. Yeah. And that's what's mm-hmm. so cool about what you've done. And now I didn't know that about your sister. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't even know about half the stuff that you're up to in your, th- your, <laughs> your yeah. thought process. So it's super cool, man. Mm-hmm. It, uh, so don't be scared of myself or Nick. You tell us what you're thinking. Don't yeah. let me shut you down in a meeting, okay? All right. I'll uh, um, <laughs> but uh, any anything else in your mind that you want? Yeah, I want to ask you actually. So obviously real estate is a primary focus for me, but I'm just thinking I don't want to have all my eggs in one basket. So long-term, what, what, have, what are your thoughts on protecting your wealth by diversifying potentially? What, what do you, what do you potentially diversify in, or are you just completely invested in real estate? Yeah. Um, I've gone away from the idea of, um, diversification, although that's discussed everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it's never discussed by people I meet who actually have some money. Everyone I've met who has some cash if, that they've been self-created are all in on what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean to promote real estate. I don't even care if anyone listening to this buys real estate. Uh, you know, I believe in it, obviously, but I've never met anyone who's made a substantial amount of financial net worth from them from from zero with a model of diversification. I've only met people who have already made their money mm-hmm. in some fashion begin to diversify it. And I feel that, and I'm sure a lot of people are just going to like hate me or disagree with me for from this idea, but I've never met anyone who said, I really got wealthy by carefully diversifying my investments. Right. I really, I've never met that person. Yeah, I've never met that person. I've only met people who said, Tom, for 20 years, I tripled down on my business. I worked hard. And I got some good fortune come my way. Mm -hmm. And the first 10 years were harder than the next 10 years. And the next 10 years got easier. Um, But I still worked hard. And by the end of it, I have this. And now I buy some property and I have, I don't know, some uh, stocks. And I I, I do some private lending. You'll hear that a lot, right? I do some private Mm -hmm. lending to Mm -hmm. some investments or to some other real estate people, that kind of stuff. And they're diversifying. But I've never heard anyone in their 20s especially come to or or come to me in their 40s and say, you know what? Thank God in my 20s, I really took this diversification model and rolled it forward. Yeah. And I'm not saying you can't make money with that. Absolutely not. I just have not met that person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually meant further, like someone in your position. So I totally didn't answer what you were asking. No, you did because (laughs) 
I think it uh, it kind of solidifies the fact that we should be focusing on one thing. So for me, it's buying real estate. But once you do get to that point where, like, let's say I, I invest for 20 years, now do you believe that people should be diversifying at that point or you just stick with Oh, got it. Yeah, so Nick and I are pretty much open books. We have real estate. Um, I Both of us are uh, have some um, precious metals in our lives and gold and silver as an insurance policy yeah. on the financial system, um, which sounds doomsday-ish, but it's really not. To me, it's just being realistic again. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not trying to be negative with that. I'm just trying to be realistic. Um, and life insurance has all of a sudden become a big part of what we're doing because from a legacy point of view and the ability to pass down some um, some assets to the next generation, a, a, a whole life insurance policy that I made kind of fun of for many years, mm-hmm. looks like it can actually have some really good tax advantages. Mm. Um, so Nick and I have some life insurance uh, policies. Nick also still has some RRSPs. I don't. I sold all my RRSPs to start Rockstar mm. um, to kind of fund this thing. And uh, because he has some RSPs, he's chosen to do some investments in um, financial products that are also real estate related. Mm-hmm. So with like a company like Greybrook Securities right, right. and doing that kind of stuff to him, that's diversification <laughs> because it's although it's still in real estate, it's not like rental properties right. or a student rental by Western. Right. Or, right. You know, or it's like investing in commercial real estate versus residential. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. But neither of us at this point feel we can get a good enough. We believe without an information advantage, you shouldn't put your money somewhere. Right. And we haven't been able to gain an information advantage on like other things that mm-hmm. would entice us to invest in them. And definitely not the stock market Mm -hmm. because I just feel like I don't have the inside knowledge. So someone else has it. So I'm further behind. But I have the inside knowledge on building this business. Mm -hmm. So Rockstar Real Estate. So I should put all my efforts and Nick and I do a huge reinvestment back into this business. Mm -hmm. So we look at this business as part of our diversification, if that makes any sense, because it's not actual even though it's still in real estate, yeah. it's in a different kind of way, right? Like well, you a, could sell the business at some point if you chose to. There's some equity here. Yeah. 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 Whether it's five bucks or 10 bucks, yeah. who knows? But yeah, we, that, that's the idea, right? right? right. So um, outside of what I just explained, we're pretty, that's it. Mm-hmm. I mean, and we're just plowing forward. Now it might get to the point, I'm 46 now, and the last few years, the business has finally got to the point where it's kind of rolling where we're not just trying to survive like the first three or five years so maybe in another five or ten years we might have this discussion and then i'll say hey george you know i'm diversifying and yeah. these kinds of things but yeah. no like our, our our next biggest purchase i think you're aware of is the commercial real estate mm-hmm. for this business mm-hmm. um and that's uh, that we look at that as a different you know another another real estate purchase and yeah different kind of asset yeah cool. so I don't know if that's too boring, but that's that's what it is. And that's what you got to do. What, what do you think your next move is? Just continue to buy real estate and just get creative. Eventually, I'm going to have to get more creative and maybe find ways to, to leverage uh, in, in a different way, maybe through lines of credit or maybe through, I don't know, partnering with people. We'll see. Yeah. You know, I don't know if I was as confident as you are at your age, so... Dude, thanks for coming on here, sharing your story. I'm sure someone listening to this is really going to enjoy hearing from someone at your age and what they're doing. What they're doing. Yeah. So we're going to have to do this again. Yeah. Thank you yeah, so much. Really, good. really appreciate yeah. this, man. Yeah, thanks, Tom.
Hey, it's Tom again, and hopefully you enjoyed that chat with George. I really think people in their 20s have a benefit to taking action because sometimes when you're a bit younger, you don't know what you don't know, and you just plow ahead and take action. And that's what George did, and that's why I'm just really impressed with him as a person and what he's doing with his real estate. So kudos to George. Um, if you're listening to this and you want to know what we're doing with investors here at Rockstar, the best place to go would be rockstarnercircle.com forward slash member. If you go to that webpage, you will see all the things that Rockstar Inner Circle members get. This has been a 10-year project for us. We're super proud of the Rockstar Inner Circle membership, not for the content and education that we try to uh, share and produce, but for the quality of people that make up the Rockstar Inner Circle membership. We are blessed and grateful to work with so many amazing people. So if you're already a Rockstar Inner Circle member, thank you. And if you're trying to figure out what we do and how we work with members, you can go to rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member and check it all out there. Thanks for listening, everybody. We really appreciate the feedback. Keep it coming in. If you have anything for us, you can email it to podcast at rockstarinnercircle.com. That will get to us. Until next time, your life, your terms.